firemen left to take off. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman! Oh! They expect one of us in the wreckage, brother. Have we started the fire? Yes. The fire rises. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFR Batpod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or maybe even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at tfrbatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us in a new location now. We have a companion blog to the podcast. Uh, that's just a place where we can, where, well, me specifically, where I can share uh, thoughts and opinions on different Batman related things that don't really fit the medium of podcasting. So if you want to check out that blog, we have our first post on there. Just go to tfrbatpod.blogspot.com. But anyway, my name is Eric Carter and I am your host. And as last time, we are officially on the road to the Batman. And uh, if you if you followed along on the last episode, you know we covered the legendary and iconic Batman Year One comic from Frank Miller. And this time, we're talking about Batman Year One once again. But this time, we're talking about the animated film from 2011. And more specifically, we're going to be doing a commentary on that. But when I say we, of course, I'm not doing this alone. I have two guests joining me today. First of all, you know him from most of our episodes. He is your TFR co-host, the co-chair, the other side of the radio. It's Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, welcome back. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Eric. Thanks for having me back for this one. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun to to get into the animated version of this. Uh, you know, this one that you didn't particularly care for the comics. So I'm I'm curious how you feel about the film. That. I- that is a fallacy, sir. <laughs> I do not dislike the comic. I just said it's not my favorite. <laughs> well, so I you either hate you... it or you love it. You can't be. A, you can't. You can't be in the middle there. It's not allowed. That's, that's true. That's how the world works, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, um, also joining us, he's joined us for several animated movies, so it felt felt fitting to have him on for this one. Um, he's also on our Zack Snyder's Justice League episode. It's my buddy, Matt Hewlin. Matt, welcome back. How's it going, Eric? It's good to be back, ready to um, do some commentary with you guys tonight. Yes, and, and and for the few people who reached out to me about the last episode, if you really want to throw some barbs, reach out to old at Matt Hewlin on Instagram because he's never even read the comic. So. <laughs> <laughs> just just throw me under the bus why don't you eric just, just... <laughs> well joe threw me so i figured i'd return the <laughs> well he can't be negative on something he hasn't read so <laughs> that's very true <laughs> in fact um so we were talking about the movie earlier this week and matt you had thought that you had not watched this thing all the way through but maybe that wasn't true i i had not watched it to completion um I think a year or so ago, 
I, it was in the lineup for all the um, when I started uh, subscribing to HBO Max and was going through their DC lineup. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up going over it. Um, and like I've said before, like, you know, when I'm watching movies, it's a very high possibility, regardless of how interesting it is, that I'm going to fall asleep in the middle of it. And this happened with year one when I was watching it. And for some reason, I just never went back and, and finished it. I was probably halfway through, I think, before I knocked out. And like I said, I just never ended up uh, going back. But um, I have since watched it, so this will not be a, a new experience for me uh, tonight. I have seen it through to its entirety. So just uh, nice. don't, don't come throwing any bricks or anything through my window fans <laughs> like nice well you fall asleep <laughs> tonight that's on us more than the movie very, <laughs> that is very true so yeah okay well matt has uh watched it now so we're gonna watch it together today and do a little alternate commentary for you guys but before we get into the movie real quick since we are on the road to the batman since you guys joined us last time um matt reeves has given us a little bit more from the Batman. Uh, he and Michael Giacchino through Water Tower Records gave us, or Water Tower Music, gave us a almost seven-minute clip of music from the film The Batman. So before we get into Batman Year One, I just wanted to ask you guys, I'll start with you, Matt, since you're the guest. What did you think of this piece of music that they gave us? Um, I thought it was good. Um, it was very, like, I hadn't, I feel like the first part we really hadn't had any exposure to it on the first several minutes. All of that felt new to me mm-hmm. um, and kind of, uh, it was almost like a, a calming sense, like the, I don't know really how to describe it. Those, that first little bit, it was very like soft, but then towards the end, the last couple of minutes, you get those, those big piano notes that we've heard like in the in the trailers and stuff and it was like oh okay like this is this sounds familiar this is more that that eeriness that more like darker like batman feel um mm. but overall like i think uh i think you sent me the youtube link to um to listen to it on and one of the first comments was uh um the uh the record or the um uh hold on let me see exactly what they said it was uh, the legacy of never having a bad Batman theme lives on. And I was like, yep, perfect. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly how I feel. Yeah, um, and, and you're right. The The end is definitely, well, there's a few notes at the very beginning. And then the, the last portion is definitely the, the main theme that we've been hearing since the marketing kind of started. It was the center chunk that was, that was new stuff. Um, but Joe, what did, what did you think of this piece of music? Uh, yeah, I'm with uh, with Matt. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was expecting it to be more of the same, but mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah, that that middle chunk when it right after those first few notes and it goes into something that I think I told you it was a lot more, dare I say, hopeful than I expected, where it mm-hmm. was almost like a like Matt said, like a calming. I, I took it as like a hopeful, like almost like a like something good happened at that moment. <laughs> and uh and then it kind of goes back into the 
you know, those big piano notes and the, you know, it gets kind of more dire at the end. And I, I think I said to you too, that it's probably not like one, um, it's not a complete piece of music as far as like a track goes. This is probably a compilation of different parts of the film. I don't know if that's, uh, it, it's like they're like a, almost like a medley of different tracks. Is yeah. What I'm assuming. I was going to say that as well, because it, it has some weird editing spots, so it doesn't – it's labeled the Batman theme, quote-unquote, but I feel like that's a little bit of, of a misdirect. I think this is kind of a medley of different portions of the film, like score from different portions of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked all of it. Um, like you guys said, I mean, of course, the the big hammering Batman theme that we've heard over and over again, and it just kind of crescendos to a, to a huge point at the end of this music. But the center, there was there was some triumph, like you said, Joe. But I thought there was a little bit of like tragic notes in there too. It all at one point it almost reminded me of kind of a, a tragic western, mm-hmm. with with some of the sweeping score in the center. Um, but yeah, it's it it sounds like a like Michael Giacchino knocked it out of the park, and he's been on fire lately with this and um, with the Spider Man No Way Home score was excellent as well. So. Mr. Giacchino is is killing it, in my opinion, and I can't wait to hear what else he's got in store for us for the Batman. And I know Joe's not a fan, but I, for one, personally, I can't wait to get my um, the Batman vinyl. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I will hope they put out a CD because that's what I prefer. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole vinyl thing, whatever. I think you're all a bunch of hipsters. Um, <laughs> But who, <laughs> wait, who's y'all? Who's who's y'all here now? Um, he knows who I'm referring to. <laughs> well, you know? I, I I almost guarantee if our friend Brendan Lowe gets nothing else merch related <laughs> from this movie, he will get the vinyl. So, so he can prop it up and take his little pictures of the vinyl. And yeah, I know, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like Brendan's vinyl pictures. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, they're very nice. They're very nice, but it's much easier <laughs> to just listen to the thing as opposed to setting it up and taking it. We love you, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, regardless, that's uh, that's kind of our thoughts, brief thoughts on the music that they've given us from the Batman, but to continue our road to the Batman, Uh, Let's get into Batman Year One, the animated film. And this kind of serves dual purpose because we missed the 10th anniversary um, close to the end of 2021, but eh, better late than never. So I'm going to count it. So this is this is partly the road to the Batman, but also kind of a little bit of a belated celebration of the 10th year anniversary of Batman Year One. Now, I recently got the 4K that they just put out, the Batman Year One uh, 10th anniversary commemorative edition, but I'm not watching that tonight. Uh, We're all watching it on HBO Max just for, you know, to keep everything cohesive just in case anything glitches out with whatever. But anyway, uh, if you guys would like to watch along with us, uh, we're going to get everything set up on all zeros. Uh, you guys have it set up. It's it's on all zeros on my screen. Yes, mine's set yes, up. I'm all good. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a countdown. Three, two, one, play. And when I say play, you press play. So let's get started with Batman Year One in three, two, one, play.
And of course, mine paused. <laughs> Do we need right. to reset? No, we're good. We're good. We're good. Okay. So I, I got I, Warner Brothers animation on the screen. We're good. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Aircraft engine roaring. Yeah. Got you. I almost uh, forgot the closed captioning, and uh, I did that real quick and made it in time. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching that. You mentioning the aircraft roaring, like watching the the WB stuff pop up, and already hearing that, and being like, "Huh, what is what is this? What is what is going on?" And then, um, well, when I when I was it queuing up, the scene. yeah, when I was queuing up uh, the movie earlier, I had the volume way loud, and when I first pressed play, yeah, <laughs> oh my lord, just blows you away right from the yeah. get go. <laughs> yeah, but this is, I mean. Again, panel to page, this is exactly how the comic starts. With Gordon coming in the city by train and Batman coming in by air. I liked the shot um with the of Bruce coming in on the um on the plane. I really I really thought that the the skyline and stuff that they were showing of Gotham like was very very reminiscent of like modern day New York, in my opinion, the way it the way it looked and trying to I don't know if that's uh, what they were going for, or if it's just generalized like cityscape, or but that's that's the that's what I got. Well, in the comic, and just like they're explaining here, um, that uh, they're seeing it from different perspectives. So Bruce is seeing the city from the air, and it looks clean and crisp, and Gordon's seeing it, of course, from the train close to the ground where it looks dirty and. Like it, like it is. <laughs> yeah. And they even keep the the dates going, just like in the book. It is very, it's it's going to be hard to not just bring up, you know, how accurate it is to the book while we're doing this. But we'll try to talk more, <laughs> be a little bit more insightful than just that. But yeah, it's. I um I don't know what you feel about the animation, but I actually really like the animation style in this. Um, you know the. <laughs> Mazzucchelli's art, I think, is, I don't want to say it's easy to adapt, but I think this works well with his art. Yeah, it's a great adaptation of Mazzucchelli's art. It's it's beautiful animation. The eyes kind of, do you remember like the, the Johnny Quest commercials or <laughs> the Johnny Quest cartoon, excuse me? Yeah. The eyes remind me of that, where they didn't put in like the whites of the eyes. Yeah, that was fairly common in the 90s for a lot of stuff, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. Or the, the 70s and 80s. And I don't remember if that was how it was in the uh, the book. So, yeah, this is this is pretty... I mean, like I said, it's it's pretty, pretty freaking faithful to the comic. I almost intentionally didn't want to leave the book out while we were doing this because I didn't want to just keep looking at the book and comparing... Yeah, I decided not to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, and then I'm like, eh, maybe not. So I do want to bring up, this is probably one of the biggest all-star voice casts a DC animated film has ever had. Um, Matt, do you, uh, other than we talked about, uh, we talked about Mr. Ben McKenzie before we started recording, but do you know some of the other voices um, in this? Well, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows ever. Okay, gotcha. So when I realized that Brian Cranston was James Gordon, I was like, holy crap, that's perfect. Like, 
Um, that is that probably was, the best casting of the movie. That that is, and it like when I realized that I was like, can we can we get that in live action? Can we just can someone do that? Like, because it's just it's absolutely perfect. Um, I don't think anybody else really rang a bell with me. Um, okay, uh, so, so um, if you watch the Mandalorian, uh huh, um. Katie Sackoff is in The Mandalorian. She plays Sarah Essen in this. Okay. Uh, she's one of the... Um, oh, God. In The Mandalorian, she's one of the... She's one of the, the Mandalorian women. She's the leader of okay. that. Okay. Okay. I got you. Um, Steven Root is Lieutenant Brandon in this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Steven Root, if you've ever seen Dodgeball... He is the uh, the nerdy guy with the goggles. Been a long time since I've seen Dodgeball, but um, <laughs> I think I know. Who you, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but I mean, he's <laughs> he's been in a ton of other stuff, but that's usually what first pops to mind. He's also uh, Milton in Office Space. If you've ever seen that, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and then you know, there's there's a ton of uh, of just classic voice talent in here as well. Um, Eliza Dushku is Selena Kyle. Um, she was in she was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and True Lies and Bring It On and Jay and Jay and Silent Bob. So she's been in a ton of stuff as well. But yeah, a, a really strong cast. But uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the voice of Ben McKenzie because we we might as well get it out of the way early so we don't <laughs> harp on it the whole time. Um, I personally think it was a misfire. Uh, yes. <laughs> um. it's, it's tough because I do really like Ben McKenzie and I, I actually really like him as Gordon in Gotham. Mm -hmm. I feel like they were trying so hard to be faithful to the book that the, whether it be, you know, what do you call it? The internal monologue. He's trying to be very dry with the internal monologue and it comes off almost monotone. Mm -hmm. And or not even almost it does come off a little monotone. And I think it, when it first when you first hear it, because I don't I don't know if you remember when you first watched this, Eric, but obviously, Matt, you you probably remember in the last year or two that you watched it for the first time. Like it, it's it's kind of jarring when you first hear it. Um, it's not what you would expect a Bruce Wayne monologue to sound like. And I think over time, I've been much more forgiving of it. Then the, I remember the first time I, I watched it and heard it, I was like, oh, I don't know. But I've definitely, once that, that just the shock of it kind of goes away and you can kind of accept it for what it is. And you, you just kind of like, I, I can kind of run with it and see what he was trying to do something different with it. I'm more okay with it now because I actually don't mind his voice in the film itself. I think it's more the monologue that is jarring to me. You're talking about the Falcone monologue? I'm sorry, no. Um, when I say my, uh, the internal uh, monologue. Oh, okay, when he's talking to himself, yeah. Well, see, yes. that's my problem with it, is because for me, there's not very much difference between the inner monologue and when he's t just doing any other kind of dialogue. It's mm -hmm. all just kind of flat. Yeah. It's all, to me, it's... And I've... Um, 
there's another show that I've watched, um, not DC related, where it was like the actors were intentionally trying to like put on this like husky, like dry, like almost like they were trying not to like talk through their nose or something while they were voicing it to add this like huskiness like to the voice and that's almost i don't know if that's his just his voice in general or if that's like what he was trying to do but like it was like you said joe it was jarring and i think it was one reason why i was kind of like when i watched it the first time i was just like disinterested like i do remember like watching the watching it and like the the james gordon stuff was way more interesting to me because it was like every time bruce or even even the batman voice like would come on i would be like what like what is this like it's just it just didn't didn't fit to me and it may be because it's not like it's not what you expect from a bruce wayne or a or a batman um and it was and there there really was and that was another thing like you said like it's very flat across the board Mm -hmm. like to me like a defining characteristic of batman is batman should sound different from bruce wayne like Mm -hmm. like there was one scene i can't remember exactly what it was maybe if i we come up when we come across it i'll be able to point it out where it was like okay like that right there should just completely give it away because he's talking with the mask on with the cowl on Mm -hmm. and he sounds just like bruce wayne like like there's no different like if anything you should be like oh yeah that's that's bruce wayne right there like there's just like just take off the mask like you're like you're you're screwing it up because your your voice sounds exactly the same um yeah and it's it's very it's very george clooney in that way yeah (laughs) there there is no there is no difference and it's just um i i just it just didn't fit for me it's probably probably my biggest complaint like with the movie and i feel like it was i feel like if you redid this with a different with a different voice actor for bruce and batman like well, yeah. it was, I mean, it, I mean, it, it could be worse, I guess it could always be worse, but I feel like you, you go from a four, four and a half stars to like full on five star, like, you know, no one ends up having complaints over it. So, yeah. Um, well, we just, uh, we, we talked through the, the Gordon being attacked scene, but that's, it's probably, I mean, the whole Gordon versus Flass in the book is probably some of my favorite stuff. And it's the same here in this movie. Uh, this is, this is absolutely more of a Gordon story. I said that during the comic review last time, this is, this is more of a Gordon story than it is a Batman story. Um, so I really, I really enjoy it here. First of all, again, they got the, the A-lister and Brian Cranston, but to have him as good as he is in this movie is excellent. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna cast someone as Gordon, and you know, the unfortunate thing that we're not gonna harp on too much with Ben McKenzie, uh, Brian Cranston carries this movie because it is the Gordon story. Gordon mm-hmm. is definitely, I mean, it's still yes, it's it's Batman Year One. You're getting right now, you know, we're seeing his first night out, trying mm-hmm. to, you know, trying to, you know, do his thing and trying to figure out what he needs to do, but. Uh, to Matt's point, it is probably much more interesting when we're we're getting the Gordon stuff. But I I I do like this stuff. I think the action in this is really good. The animation here is really good. Oh, it's um, fantastic. I like that. Uh, 
you know, the pace picks up really quick. You know, it's only an hour movie. It's an hour and four minutes, I think. And mm-hmm. right away, we're already getting his first night out. There's no, there's no waiting. You know, we get already, we get, you know, flash beating up Gordon. Um, and now we're getting this action scene here. And, and, you know, the Gotham looks just like it does in the book too. It does, which I mean, the book moves at a pretty quick clip too. So, yes. Um, I, 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 so I want to get your opinion on this, uh, Matt. I expressed last time in the uh, when we were talking about the book, I have never ever been a fan of Selena Kyle being a prostitute. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's it's done well here. Um, but I, I've, I've never been a fan of it either. Um, and that was something I was going to kind of bring up with you guys. Cause you're way more into like knowledgeable about this kind of stuff. But I was going to ask like how, I guess, accurate or how, how in line is all of the origin stories in this movie compared it's- to like all of like that other origin, like, I don't. I don't ever. This is the only time I've ever seen James Gordon like kick ass on the same near about the same level as as Bruce Wayne. Like, um, and you know the Selena Kyle thing being a prostitute and stuff for starting out that way. Like, how how do those like line up with other like Batman media? So, um, all of that is very Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Some for the good and some for the bad. Um, the the like the combat edge and the prior military with with Gordon. I want to say I I don't remember anything of that before Frank Miller. Joe might have might have some knowledge. I don't on that. But um, well, no, I I don't. So, but I also it's it's tough because like we talked about it a little bit in the last episode where dark Knight returns came out prior to this. Mm-hmm. So you have Selena set up in that as, you know, um, she's not a prostitute. What would you call her? She's like the, um, she's like the head of the prostitutes. I don't know what that's called. She, she <laughs> runs, she runs the whorehouse. Yeah. Um, so For lack like, of it, anything nicer yeah. to say. A very eloquent way of putting it. The, yeah. um, but she just, it's like Frank Miller had to kind of retroactively say, well, if she's there at that point, when we're starting out, I have to make her the prostitute. And it's weird because, like you're saying, uh, is it accurate? I think by default, it is because this was the post crisis accepted origin of these characters, where Dark Knight Returns was technically not in continuity this is mm-hmm. so this was like frank miller getting the keys to the you know keys of the kingdom here do your batman origin it's in the batman monthly and it became and correct me if i'm wrong eric but this was the post crisis batman origin going forward yeah so so what he's talking about matt is um after crisis on infinite earths Mm-hmm. DC reset the continuity and this was the first uh this was the first couple of issues of Batman right after crisis so they brought in Frank Miller to to reset Batman's continuity 
so this is again, like Joe said, this is continuity. This is their their official origins after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. But yeah, some decisions I really like, like this. I love like this, seeing. Yeah, the Gordon stuff is great. I love seeing Gordon being being able to handle himself against a Green Beret, like he said. But um, yeah, some of the, I thought I thought that line like was was awesome. I and yeah. I do remember. I remember watching it this past week and then. And I was like, okay, yes, I, I definitely remember watching through this part the first time because I was like, oh, that's badass. Like, and then and then just how vicious he is with leaving him like that. Like, in I mean, just yeah, sending a message like you can't get more clear than that. Like, don't mess with me. Like, you don't know who you're dealing with. Like, and knowing that he has so much pride that he won't report. Yes. It. Yeah, like that's it's great. like he just beat him physically, mentally, emotionally, everything like and that now, was just now this is like even before crisis and stuff. This is classic Batman origin. Oh, oh, yes. This is that 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 classic brooding old bat comes out of nowhere and yeah. drives the epiphany kind of thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, I love this. Um, like I said, there's there's things like this and like um, the the way Gordon can handle himself that I I like those things that Frank Miller did. But but putting a little bit of a grimy edge on some of the characters, like with the prostitute Selena, that's some of the Frank Miller stuff I'm not crazy about. And then we get the classic, you know. Oh yeah, Death of the Waynes. The classic Death of the Waynes, which has become, you know, for some reason a big talking point with fans of how many times do we have to see this? But my argument always is, how many times do we see it in the comics? They they flash back to this a lot in the comics. It's a very big deal. And I don't think there's anything wrong with showing the Death of the Waynes in the films. Well, my argument of that is, you know, Joel Schumacher had the same opinion. Mm -hmm. Why why do we got to keep seeing the death of the Waynes? But he so, showed him. Well, he showed him in forever, but then, yeah. you know, in, in Batman and Robin, he didn't want to do that. And he wanted, bat, you know, he wanted to steer in a more cheerful direction and we see what we got. So, yeah, but he also did his take on it. And that's the thing where. Like Burton did his take in 89. I don't think we see a retread of that in returns. Schumacher wanted to do his take on it in forever. And then in Batman and Robin, there's no need to do it again. So, mm -hmm. and it, you know, just to keep going in Batman begins, you get the death of the Waynes. You don't get the death of the Waynes in the dark Knight or the dark Knight rises. So mm -hmm. they're just, it's a story point. It is an important story point on Batman. So why not address it? Why not show your version of it? And just from a creative standpoint, I get it. They want to have their version of it. Well, and I even liked, and we're kind of getting off topic here, but I even liked in, in Batman forever where, you know, you just see flashes of it when he's contemplative, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say this is tough after we just covered the book. Cause I'm trying not to say things that we already talked about on the book. So yeah, I know it's, it's nice to have Matt here too, to have someone else to, to kind of bounce off of with, uh, you know, different opinions on it too. And this is definitely one of the highlights of the book right here. Oh, the, uh, yeah, the hostage interrogation or the hostage 
situation here. Yeah, again, just another Greg Gordon scene. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love the the look on Brandon's face they gave the gave there where you know he's chomping at the bit to And it's just a simple line of, you know, oh, it'll be a massacre and with Brendan's men. So you know exactly how you know what to expect now when you when you hear that name and what they're gonna go about doing. So um we can't hear it now, but I also wanted to bring up just because he's done a lot of really, really good DC animated stuff. Um, the gentleman that scored this film is Christopher Drake, and I think the music is really good in this movie. Yeah, he's done. He did the Dark Knight Returns also. He he did the Arkham Origins game, which has yeah, an amazing which is one of the score. best scores. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say as someone that um just just go, going back to the the scene right now um as someone who works with the mental health community the the representation of the guy like with the gun like that's 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 very well done um mm-hmm. oh absolutely I'm, and I I like the way that Gordon handles it because that's it's you see you see that a lot you see a lot of brendans out there try to try to just force things and and not treat people like that like they're like they're human beings um it, and it really takes a lot of a lot of patience and and just communication and things um get you a lot further than just trying to muscle your way through that kind of situation for sure which really shows you know the the heroic side of gordon and then you know, obviously that's a sticking point for Commissioner Loeb here because he wants to, you know, he's trying to get rid of Gordon at this point, but he can't because now he's a hero cop. So Yeah, exactly. And this moment we start seeing, you know, the more Gordon just having a really hard time dealing with Gotham. Gotham is mm-hmm. breaking him down and he's seeing... I love that first shot, shot. Of, of Batman. Yeah. Yeah. But we're seeing what Gotham is doing to him and it's really just breaking him down. How can I bring a, a child into this into this city? And they're they're foreshadowing the situation with Barbara that's coming, that we know is coming. And it I I don't particularly like the storyline, but I understand that Frank Miller was showing how Gotham can really wear someone down. And mm-hmm. the hope is that you can overcome the mistakes you make when Gotham is, you know, knocking you into a corner, you can fight back and, and overcome it. And I, I do appreciate that, whether it's something I agree with or not. And this is that great scene we talked about where he's holding the guy and is it's funny that the one time we don't get the monologue is with the TV, and that's one of our favorite spots from the. Uh, from it the is, yeah. So and it would be I, hard to do that while he's fighting. So I get why they chose to not do it. And I don't know if it translates quite as well here. So, so Matt, you haven't read the book. So what we're talking about is uh, while he, in the in the comic, while he's fighting those kids on the catwalk or on uh-huh. the fire escape, when the TV falls, 
you see the inner monologue of Batman saying, oh, the TV hasn't hit the ground yet, which implies, you know, if he lets this kid drop, it's going to kill him. Yeah. So, okay. so yeah. So they, I don't know if that really plays out as well in the movie, but it's a great moment in the book. And here we get our first introduction to, to Sarah Essen. Mm-hmm. The great pictures of Batman on the wall. That one of the gargoyle just, it, it cracks me up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Bob Kane's drawing from Batman yeah, 89. Yep. I, that can't be a mistake, because that was the first thing I thought of, too. And uh, then we get the great, you know, flash excuse of it's not human. And, you mm-hmm. know. That was a cool shot. Mm-hmm. Batman jumping off the roof with the cape spread. And then the cape draped on him while he's on the car. I think they did. I mean, he's still kind of a more slender Batman in this, but he does seem like he has more of a build than in the comic. Okay. I think I lost you guys for a second there. Okay. We can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. And it, and it, it stopped my playback. Oh, (laughs) We are at 25, 22, 23. They're at dinner now. Oh, this is a, this is an important part, Matt. You got to catch up. (laughs) Okay. I'm at 25, 32. Is that about right? Yeah. You're three seconds behind. Yeah. 40, 41. Okay. Yeah. I'm a couple seconds behind, but it's okay. Yeah, I would pause it, but it would throw off the listeners. So. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, this is probably, again, this is my favorite part of the book, and it's also my favorite part of the movie. And honestly, I think this section, when Batman comes in, I think this is the most effective Ben McKenzie's voice is in the movie. Because I don't think in this moment he needs to be, you know, loud or yelling. I think it works in this moment. Because the, I don't know, that kind of monotone comes off kind of menacing in the dark when he's all lit up, which we haven't gotten to quite yet. Yeah, it comes off emotionless, which is probably even more scary when Mm -hmm. you're, you're just hearing the voice. And, but to what Matt was saying before it does still just sound like Bruce Wayne. But I guess when he starts to do the Bruce Wayne persona, maybe it'll be more, you know, his Batman voice is going to be his voice. And then the playboy Bruce Wayne is going to be the more upbeat flamboyant voice. So it's almost like a reverse of what we have come to realize. And I love that shot of Batman just shadowed. And also, I mean, again, as I said in the last episode, I can't hear that dialogue without thinking about the Batman Book Club now. <laughs> so, oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's engraved in our brain now after hearing yeah. that that in the opening of that podcast. So, another shout out for you, Ryan. <laughs> I do think it's so smart how they set up. They tried to set up a trap here for Batman. Mm-hmm. But Batman's a step ahead of him. Yeah, 
Yeah, I guess they assume that Batman wouldn't know that Sarah's a cop. I guess she did just transfer. I mean, it's been a month or two by now, though, right? Yeah. Something, maybe but, something like that. Yeah, but they're underestimating him, which they they don't know what we know. <laughs> so it, it makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, it does feel like we're moving really quickly through the months here. Yes. The movie seems even quicker paced than the book, which is crazy. And, you know, and Matt, you can chime in on this because I thought that's what you meant when you when you said you hadn't um, you hadn't made it all the way through it. A lot of people describe this movie as boring. So what's your take on that? I will say this like it's 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 definitely faster on this like second like watch through like when you're watching it for the first time like it does not like it feels a lot longer than an hour and four minutes um it's and it may be because again i had to watch it in two parts again because i'm trying to watch these things after after i've been at work so the Mm -hmm. sleep thing like definitely kicks in but um um watching it the second time like as I mean, four or five minutes in, I was like, okay, this is, this is moving way faster than I thought it would, um, Mm -hmm. or than I remember it. Um, and I think too, once you realize, like you said, that it's a, it's a James Gordon story and it's not a necessarily a Batman story. Like you're so used to it being, you know, you're so used to having so much Batman and so much Bruce Wayne when you realize that that's kind of in this actually going on in the background, um, and you realize what all is going on. It's, it's not boring. It's just not, I think it's just not what you're used to. Um, and these are also like ground level, like villains. Like you don't have anybody like superhuman that he's fighting or anything like that. This is more, you know, um, I think, I think that's a great point. I mean, this is very much more corruption, ground level crime. Yeah, there's no entertaining villain. There, mm-hmm. There's not that, you know, you don't, there's no yeah. Joker, there's no Penguin, there's no one that is going to draw you in. It's more the corruption in general. And you, you do have the, the hints of Falcone and and uh, obviously Flash is, to me, one of the main villains. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, this is going to sound really harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's more fast paced for us right now because we're doing the commentary, so we're talking over it. Or do you think Ben McKenzie's voice makes it sound slower than it is? I think I think not, that's a I think that's that, a fair criticism. I think that's, like, I think that's fair. Yeah, which is sad because I don't want to crucify the guy. Um, but as we're like, the animation is so great. like we're just watching right now we're not listening to anything and it seems very fast which now i'm kind of like wait does his voice make it slow down on purpose was that a conscious effort because they felt like the pace was so fast yeah i it it also makes you wonder who did the voice direction on this one it's andrea romano is it andrea well, she has a cameo in it. She's the voice of the obstetrician. Mm. Um, 
That well, is so strange cool. because it, it just seems like it just but seems again, they like were still they were still learning the adaptation process. They so were. That's true. This is the first direct adaptation they did. Under the Red Hood came out prior to this, and that was not a straight adaptation. That also involved Judd Winnick, who wrote the comic. Where this is and literally I, page to screen, straight adaptation, which I respect that they tried that. I, I do for this story think that this was the one to try that for. Well, and and you've got a good point there with Under the Red Hood. I mean, I wonder if they thought, because what immediately popped into my mind when you said that is, well, why just why not just get Bruce Greenwood? But if they wanted a younger sounding Batman, then then I get, you know, you don't want to use the same guy. Yeah, because how uh, old is Bruce supposed to be in this? Oh, d- 25? Like mid, yeah, 25-ish? Like mid-20s, because isn't he supposed to be around like 12 when his parents get killed, and then that's he's gone for like 12 years or something like that, they said. like. Yeah, I think he's around 25. Yeah. So I can't find voice direction, so I don't want to say it was definitely Andrea Romano. Um, she did not do the casting. Was she usually the casting director? Or was she just the voice director? I want to say she casted the voices as well. I know she cast Kevin Conroy. So, yeah, well, or, she or did she, not do the casting in this. Or, you know, it was a collective, I think, with her and Bruce Tim on that. But here, I'm not sure. But it just, if it if it is, even even if she didn't do the casting, it seems odd if she did the direction. Because she's she's usually a much more dynamic voice director than what we get. Mm-hmm. With with Batman at least, but on the other hand, I mean, with Brian Cranston, it's it's pitch perfect. So yeah, and no, so she did not do. She's known for casting director, and she did not do the casting director for Batman Year One. Gotcha. This is this is also a huge part of the of the book, uh, a big climactic part where you where you get this confrontation between the police and Batman. And I think it's, it's adapted so well here. And then adapted even better in my opinion in Batman begins. Yes. Well added to in Batman begins. Yeah. But definitely more of an adaptation. This is kind of just, Oh, this is yeah. Page to page to page screen. To screen. Yeah. Again, as I can't criticize this film that much because I think it accomplishes what it set out to do. If you love this story, or and it's it's so tough because when you look at you know Hush or Long Halloween, when they change things, people don't like it, and you could say that they're just not done well. Dark Knight Returns is the one that, thankfully, because that's the one that's so beloved. That's the one they got right where most people love that. Which it's a it's a fine line. I think it depends on the story you're adapting to because The Dark Knight Returns is pretty close. It's not exactly page to screen, but it's 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 a lot closer than you get with something like The Long Halloween or Batman Hush. Yes. Where Hush like I guess because Long Halloween and Hush are technically like detective stories they wanted to do something different where i think sometimes they're better off not where and i obviously like long halloween we've talked about that before 
but I I do appreciate just the straight adaptation. Give the people the comic what? on give, screen. Give them what they a lot. Yeah, that's something in um whenever it comes to putting um print and comics on on film whether it's animated or whether it's live action um i think a lot of creators and filmmakers want to um base it off of the written material but what the fans the majority of them i know um there's been a recent um adaptation of one of my favorite series of books and it was like it's just completely they just in my opinion, butchered it. Like they took the names and like some of the general concepts and that's all they kept. Whereas mm-hmm. what fans I felt like myself, what we wanted was just literally just take the book and just use that as your screenplay. Like just, we just want to, I just want to see it. I don't want to have to imagine. I just want to be able to see everything that happened in the book on, on screen. Like you don't have to add your own swing to it. You don't have to change characters because you feel like it's, you know, more politically correct or whatever. Like, I, you don't have to adapt it to the the current, like, social things. Like, I, I don't need all that. I just want, like, I, I love the books. I love the series. Like, I want you to just do your best to take it and take those words and just put them on screen. That's all I want you to do. You know, that's that's what I want. I feel like a lot of fans want. But I will say in some cases, like Eric said, it just does not like doing that does not come off well. Um, well, and I think it's a little different when you're adapting novels versus comic books because comic comics are a very visual medium. So, you know, I think everybody animation too, because it's going from art to art. Right. Yes. I, I think it just, and this is, this is an awesome scene here. We're, using Batman's ingenuity to, to get out of this trap. He doesn't have any of his, or he doesn't have most of his gadgets. This is, this is really, I love him saving the cat. I think the cat, you know, the action, because I don't think that's shown perfectly well in the book. I think they, that's where the artwork really takes over here is you get in between panels because they keep Mm -hmm. going, which is nice. It fills in the blanks. Matt, did you, uh, did you notice the parallel here of the of the him using the the little device in his boot to call in the bats? Uh, did you notice that as a as kind of a well, technically Batman Begins was referencing year one, but did you notice the similarity there? Yes, yes, I did. Okay, it's awesome. So cool. I love that shot of him kind of just pulling the cape up on his eyes and the bats coming through the windows. But what you were talking about with adaptation, I think with comics, you're a little damned if you do and damned if you don't. Because you're always going to get that criticism if you do something like this movie where it's almost exactly page to screen. You're going to get that criticism of, well, we've we've seen it. We know what this story is, you know. Um, whereas and, and fascinating I, to me with the Dark Knight Returns because everyone loves that. Yeah, you're right, and that's what I'm saying. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Because like with Dark Knight yeah. Returns, everybody loves it, but with this, it's a little more divisive, and I, it's almost the same situation. I, I think I think what it comes down to is just who who are you going to listen to like when it comes down to the complaints because like. 
there there are just as many people who probably love this page to page adaptation as there are that hate it you know um well, so like and then on the other side of that you've got the hush versus long halloween conversation where when they adapted batman hush they changed the they changed a lot of things and people didn't like it and, and then with, with long that, halloween people did like the changes or for the most part so yeah because they fleshed out the long Halloween and still kept most of it the same. They kept the essence of it the same. With Hush, when you change a, a character and change the ending drastically, that's when it really starts to... Well, they changed the ending of Long Halloween drastically, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I don't... Yeah, I don't have an answer. And then look at something like Gotham by Gaslight, which, to me, they improved on. So I they agree. Really, that's where it is, damned if you damned if you don't, because you can't win. But I but, will say this is the safer way to do it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> because nobody burns this with fire. It's just okay. And I think I think a, a lot of it is too is if creators would set that expectation like as part of the like when you start talking about it and marketing it and things, if if you just come out and say, this is not a direct adaptation, like we've, we've done our own spin on it, like and set that expectation, like so then I can go in it and like, okay, this is based off of it, like it's not. But if you kind of allude to it being, oh yeah, we're bringing it to life or whatever, bringing, you know, I'm expecting, okay, I'm just going to get to go watch my comic, like, you know, be on screen. And then I, I watch it and it's something that's completely altered and like completely different. Then it's kind of like, well, oh, okay, well, I guess I don't ever, I'm never going to get to see it. Cause that's the thing too. Like if that's what you're, if that's what you're wanting, if you're wanting that, you know, page to screen direct adaptation and someone does it, but then they, they didn't do it that way. They did it differently. Well, you, no one's going to come back and, and do it the way that the accurate way, you know, that you, that you were expecting. Like it's, it's like, no one's going to come back and do um, long Halloween again or hush and do it direct well, from page screen. Well, and I think it's, it, it all comes down to the people who watch these movies too. Cause I mean, the people who buy and watch these movies are pretty much fans of, of yeah. the source material. So, I mean, you don't get a lot. I mean, you do get some, but you don't get a lot of audience outside of that core group. So, but yeah, we just saw that the, the dirtying of Gordon a little bit with him kissing Sarah Essen, which happens 40, 40, what? 43 minutes almost into the movie. Mm -hmm. That just happened. <laughs> Which makes sense because so, that that storyline doesn't really flesh yeah. out until issue three and four of the book. So, which I don't remember it being that late in the story when uh, before we re went and reread it. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, now, it's just showing how torn he is with everything going on, and he is beside himself. He's mad at himself for everything he's had to do and done, you know, against his better his better morals. Yeah, for sure. That is I a shot. I think we talked about that in the book, but the shot of him at the end of the bed, gun in his hand, pregnant wife behind him, who he has been cheating on. It is a brutal image when you think about everything going on. 
Yeah. It's it's I said it was disturbing in the comic and I think uh with the music in this movie and just the the lingering animation it's even more disturbing in the movie. And to Frank Miller's credit, Sarah Essen is a likable character. Yeah. Oh, she like I said she's she's beloved now. Um and, and a lot she of- becomes his wife. I mean, I don't Matt, I don't know how you how much you know about Sarah Essen in the comics, but Sarah becomes his wife in the comics for years. Mm-hmm. I was not aware of that, but it yeah. it, it it makes sense because I was going to comment on the fact that it's like I have a great deal of empathy like for Gordon in that in that regard because he's in his line of work and stuff like he can't really he his wife really can't relate to like what he's in and and, and doing and he he's in something that with his job, like it, he's, he's taken away from her so much. And then when you're presented with someone that you do have something more in common with, you do have chemistry with, and you're also able to be around that person and communicate with them and who understand, like who understands like what you're, you know, doing on a daily um, basis, you know, it's, it, it is very, very difficult. Like, you know, I can, I can definitely like when when he did when he kissed her in the alleyway or whatever i was like come on gordon like come on you know better like uh, like i sunk a little bit seeing it but at the same time like i i get it i see where that temptation is there Mm -hmm. um even if it's not the right thing and it's just well even if i don't like it i can see what frank miller was going for and it's smart writing because it's good yes it's good for the story like it's good for the it also shows kind of that gotham will break down even the best people yes and it shows that our heroes can make mistakes and overcome them yeah so i mean again i think it's just my sticking point of i don't like to see the you know our heroes dirty it, that's just kind of a, you know, a, a nitpick for me. But I, at the end of the day, I do think it's it's smart writing. So I also want to bring up, you know, even even with the criticisms that a lot of people weigh against this movie, it was a a pretty big success so far as these animated movies go. Um, the report it was reported that it was made for like three million dollars, and it made six point one. So for a direct to home video movie, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I've never actually followed any of that with any of these films, so I wouldn't even know how to compare that. Yeah, but I mean, when you say when you look at some of the budgets for animated movies, some of them are insane. I mean, so far as high budget, especially your yeah. theatrical releases, and I would argue that the oh animation... yeah, for this to be three million—that's crazy because the animation yeah. in this is really good. It's great. And then you look at the at the uh, we talked about the voice cast earlier. I mean, they did a lot with three million dollars. Granted, it's only an hour. That's that's true. But when you look at and this is again. <laughs> This is probably a really dumb comparison, but I don't know what costs that much money when you're talking about animation. But yeah, like when you talk about a film like what Into the Spider Verse, that had what like over a hundred million dollar budget, didn't it? Well, I'm not sure about that. Oh, it was a ninety million dollar budget. 
Yeah. Um, with, for an animated film. With animation, it's the it's the actual animation that costs. Like, I mean, yes, it's gonna it costs them a lot to get Brian Cranston, especially because you guys said this was ten years old. So, yeah, two thousand eleven. So this was oh, probably this was right in the. Night. Yeah, this was Brian Cranston was on everybody's TV every Sunday night, like on Breaking Bad. Like he was he was worth a lot of money at this point. Um, even if you <laughs> are just getting. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just such a stupid thing, but I love that shot. Um, oh, the, uh, the Pulp Fiction shot? Um, no, uh, Basic Instinct. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, like, so, but what really costs you is the actual animation itself, because it takes a studio. I mean, you're talking about pretty much the whole movie is very similar. Like, CGI and animation are basically the same thing like the yeah. amount of effort and things that it takes to get it on screen um and this animation is good and i think it shows what you can do um with you know something that's more rusted that's not extremely detailed that people love it because i that's i haven't commented on it yet both of you have but i i love the animation in this too um i think it's perfectly styled uh but then comparing it to something like into the spider verse You've got a lot more shots in just probably the first five minutes of Into the Spider-Verse. You've probably got more frames than you did in the first half of this movie. Um, Because each one of those frames has to be animated, detailed, gone through, and everything. And it's also a difference of, you know, um, the, the quality level of, like, TVs and stuff that we have now. You can get things that are at a better frames per second or better refresh rates because um tvs and and um, movie screens and stuff have come that much further so it just takes that much more work to make sure every single one of those transitions is smooth because you have just so many more shots and like you know yeah it's a lot more complex animation it's a don't get me wrong yeah. I, I love Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So it's not it's not a yeah. gripe at that. It's more just like it's you're right, it shows you what you can do with such a low budget because I don't think the animation in this suffers with that low budget. So if no. they're gonna keep making these animated films, this shows that you can make a great animated film with a low budget and make your return on investment worth it. And that's that's what's so great, and that's why we keep getting these films. And it, it also, to me, illustrates that your writing is probably the big in any form of media, like, that's what it comes down to. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like, yes, you can have animation and stuff that's jarring or voice casting that's jarring, but you can still have a, a good piece of work if the writing is there. And if you have the good storyline, if you have the good dialogue and things like that, that's that's what you should focus on first and then and then work on the other piece by piece on top of it oh yeah i, I mean, never well, caught all the warner brothers easter eggs here oh yeah well <clears throat> in the uh in the comic there's it's more disney oh okay because but obviously you know they couldn't use mickey mouse and stuff like that here <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think you're right, Matt. I think um, the story in this movie absolutely overcomes any gripes I have about maybe like Batman's voice. Because um, I, I do enjoy watching this movie. I'm not one of those people who thinks this is a boring movie. I've always kind of liked this movie. 
And which is funny because I honestly think I like the movie a little more than the comic, which is weird. Cause I, I, I think I don't have the hangups watching the movie because I, I, I accept that, you know, this is an adaptation of the comic. Where the comic is is beloved so much that, like, and not to speak for you, but you feel like the, the comic is overrated. So you come into the comic thinking, like, it's just not your cup of tea, where this is just a quick one-hour film that you're going to watch to just get something out of it, and that's it. Right. But real, now... Real, Real quick, I just want to interject this because it's on the screen right now. But that Johnny that Falcone is talking to there is mm-hmm. that Johnny Vitti. Johnny that's Vitti. the guy. That's the guy. That's the first. That's the original Long Halloween. The first, the guy that gets killed in the bathtub, right? Yeah. Yes. So, okay. uh, Batman: The Long Halloween was written as a, a pseudo sequel to this. To this. Okay. That's what I. That's what I thought, and that's what I, when I was watching it, I was like, "Hey, that's." That's Johnny V. That's the guy that like starts the long Halloween. Like, yeah, and, and his mom that he's talking to is Falcone. And this and that right there with the Catwoman. That's where that's uh, where Falcone scars... got. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. I just wanted to interject that for other people watching, but y'all can continue about what. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a that's a good point. Um, I I we mentioned in the last episode how much we love the you know, the kind of carryover in the long Halloween from this story. And I honestly think, I, I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but I honestly think this would be a good double feature uh, watching this and then watching Batman, the long Halloween, the movies. So I didn't think about it until matches started talking about Johnny VD and all that. And now I'm thinking not that their voices are that like, obviously their voices aren't identical, but Ackles, voice is kind of close it's not as jarring of a difference as you know a kevin conroy or something like that um it's it's better well yes Eccles. Uh, <laughs> Eccles is definitely a better batman voice but you can you could definitely watch this as a double feature just like you could read the comic and go into you know the long halloween comic because it is pretty you know i don't want to say seamless but i I think it kind of it works. It definitely works. Well, I mean, just like if you're reading um, year one and then you go into Long Halloween, obviously, you know, you're missing some time in the middle there because you have all the rogues mm-hmm. in the Long Halloween. But it does work as a as a one two, At least in the mafia side of things. Yes. Yes. Because, I mean, they even set up in this story, you know, they set up Harvey Dent and they set up, uh, you know, the, the, the Falcones and the mob, not thinking too highly of Gordon. So that all really leads into the long Halloween very well. We just need my, uh, the man who laughs. Yeah. Film. I don't know if you, that, that would be one you'd have to stretch out. Yes. And that would be one that would be a good adaptation, um, one to adapt, because you could, I don't think people would complain if you stretch that one out. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so either. That would be, work very similar to like an Under the Red Hood. And here we go, getting into the climax here. Eric's favorite part. Because. Now, in the comic, is it nighttime? It's, it's daytime. 
I just really because there's no logical explanation for him to not be in the bat suit if it's nighttime. I agree. I've so never thought about a, that until now. That's a weird change. Well, it's it it, it transitions. Like, it does transition. So like it's probably a very early morning. Yeah, because it's like I mean, because he's, okay. he's just woken up with the baby and stuff like that. Like it's oh, that's I mean, true. You think it's right. like three or four a.m. Like you know. So does yeah. this start? At night, though, in the book, I don't think so. I think it's daytime when because he because he specifically makes the point of uh, not yeah. going out in the middle of the day. It yeah. is still kind of weird because yeah, because he just made the comment to Alfred like never during the day, and then yeah, they're asleep and he goes by him like, and then it transitions back. So it's mm-hmm. it is it is still weird. It, it might have been an animation choice more than a a stylistic choice. Yeah, because now you can see it's getting a little brighter out. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a little bit of an odd choice to change it to, I guess, early morning instead of middle of the day. But again, so just uh, you didn't listen to the last episode, Matt, but or you haven't yet. But one of my biggest issues with the book is at the end we end with Bruce Wayne. We don't, we don't get any Batman at the end of the book. Yeah. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> so, I, I, I would have made a rentals. <laughs> what? Did you see the sign? It says VHS and beta rentals. Oh no, I didn't even pay attention to it. <laughs> That's funny that they kept it kind of in the time period of the book too because like with the mm-hmm. long Halloween that's something that they ch- they definitely made it you know modern times yeah with cell phones and such where again because this was going straight adaptation the long Halloween is doing a modern yeah uh, like a reimagining of it yes for sure And I like these one-offs. Like, it, like the Long Halloween, Hush, they are in continuity, where it seems like with the in-continuity ones, they tend to have it fit their continuity, so they're going to change things more, where when you're going as a one-off, they're more likely to... Well, and I would, I would even argue that if you watch the Long Halloween and you don't watch the post credit scene at the end of Part 2... You could leave that as standalone as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It can be standalone, but they, but the the some of the changes that they made in the Long Halloween might have been because they're putting it into that new universe. into a continuity. Whereas yeah. you don't have that restriction with something like this if it's just going to be a one and done kind of thing. Exactly. And I think there was a. I, I've never heard anyone confirm this i think other people have speculated this andy might have speculated on only bad cast um the riddler is obviously missing from the long halloween where he was the biggest issue people had with hush yep here's our big ending here or our big end to this encounter with bat with uh bruce saving the baby and and to be clear, I do I love the sequence. I just don't like that it's the end of the story. Well, you don't like that he's not in the bat suit. If this whole scene happens with him in the bat suit and his mask falls off, like that would work. Yeah, absolutely. 
I I absolutely love the exchange between Gordon and Bruce. Mm-hmm. I understand your criticism of it. I just I'm okay with it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, I know. It is funny that they have Flash as the guy that <laughs> he's the one that takes everyone down. Yeah. Because of course he would be the one to throw everyone under the bus because yep. he has no. <laughs> it definitely fits in his character. Like oh yeah, from the he beginning. has no even as morally. That would be like a, I don't know if you would consider that a moral code, but there's no there's he, no he has none. There's he has no character development for him at all. Like he is he is <laughs> he is scum at the beginning and he's scum at the at the at the end. Mm-hmm. Calls himself the Joker. I love that little, just like in the book, I love that little tease of what's to come, even though we don't get an erect, uh, a direct adaptation uh, or sequel. And again, it ends with Gordon. The, you do not even get a final Batman shot at the end. And I'm telling you that... The first shot is Gordon, and the final shot is Gordon. This is the Gordon. So this, I forgot about this. This is beautiful. The Mazzucchelli art here at the end? Yeah. Yes. So this is this gives you an idea here, Matt, as to how well they adapted the the uh, the art yeah. of the comic to the movie. Yeah, I did remember watching through all those, and I was like, okay, yeah, that looks very, I mean, it's... And it's the original construction paper art. Yeah, which is, this is this is something, I, I love it when they do this. They did something very similar in The Long Halloween, where they put Tim Sale's art in the, in the mm-hmm. uh, before and after credits. I love it when they do that. That just reminded me of the, uh, the final credits for the Batman Ninja Turtles film, which is also brilliant. <laughs> yes. Totally unrelated. <laughs> but the, the final credits for that are great. If you have not seen that, go check that out. All right, so we are into the credits. So that is that is the end of the animated film Batman Year One. So kind of to to wrap it up, um, let's get some final thoughts on the film, Matt. Um, well, I kind of gave like a little bit of my like the only only complaint I really have with the movie um, is the Ben McKenzie voice. Um, and, um, I kind of see like where the complaints you had kind of at the end, like where we didn't get much Batman, but I see where it stands. Cause we, we talked about it being a, is a Gordon story that just happens to, you know, take place in like, you know, it's a really, a, it's really a James Gordon origin story that takes place alongside of Batman's origin story. And it's more of how. Batman's origin fits kind of into Gordon coming into to Gotham. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's not a huge complaint for me. It's just like you said, would been would have been nice to have seen a little more Batman. Um, but yeah, the just the, and this is the transition. It's all done very well. Um, the art is beautiful. The animation is. I don't want to say basic, but I mean it's there's nothing grand or spectacular about it. And that's just what makes it fantastic. Um, because like you said, you don't need it. The action scenes, the fight scenes still look great. 
um and but you it's it's still smooth um as and it, and it makes me i think you told me that one of the biggest compliments you can uh pay a piece is for it to want you to read more of the source material right. and this this makes me want to go back and read the comic and and read more um so that's that's where it stands for me excellent yeah I, and you can uh you can find that on dc universe infinite if you'd like to read it so uh i yeah that is that is high high praise uh joe what about you final thoughts yeah it's i I've always really liked this because I like the book. It's a straight adaptation of the book. I've always, I've always thought it got an unfair rap for being just a direct adaptation. I, I can't fault it for doing what most of us want these films to do. And that's take the comic and put it right on screen. Mm -hmm. Is Ben McKenzie's voice a little jarring? Yes. I have grown to appreciate it as the years have gone on doing this commentary and not hearing it um was weird because it, it does make me feel like his voice might slow the pace down a little bit and that might have been a, a a choice i'm very curious if that was a planned choice because it is such a quick story that maybe they wanted something to kind of slow you down a little bit and make you stop and think about what's going on um but I, I do I do like this movie a lot. I, I think it's a good adaptation of the source material. That's what I want from these films. Uh, maybe the execution of certain things wasn't perfect, but none of these movies are really perfect. Uh, but I, I, I do. I, re I really have a soft spot for this one. I always have since it came out. Uh, and it's only an hour. Like it's it's hard to criticize a film that's only an hour. Like, <laughs> mm. if, even if it's not the best thing in the world, I could put on anything for an hour and just kind of have it on in the background and just enjoy some Batman content. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so far as my thoughts, everybody, if, if you listen to the last episode and you've listened through this commentary, you know, um, I have a few drawbacks about the story of Batman year one itself. Um, but again, it's still probably it maybe, maybe, and I'll have to sit down one day and make a formal top 10 list, but it maybe cracks my top 10. So it's not like I hate the story. I really, really like the story. I just have some key issues with it. Um, but so far as the movie adaptation, I don't have to worry about those, you know, those nitpicks because it's an adaptation of the book. So I can enjoy it as that. And I do. Um, I, I talked about earlier how there's a lot of people that complain about this movie being boring. And I don't agree with that. I think it's, I think it's a very faithful and very smooth transition and adaptation of a beloved Batman story. And there's a lot to like here. Um, I, again, we've talked about Ben McKenzie, his voice for Batman ranks really, really low in my, uh, Batman voice actors list. But I think the story that they tell in this, in this movie overcomes that little bit of a qualm and he's paired with probably, I don't know. I would wager to say the greatest Gordon voice ever, in my opinion, in Brian Cranston. I love Brian Cranston. I love his voice in this movie. And as a Gordon story, which Batman year one absolutely is, it works. 
So yeah, I, and and like Joe said, it's an hour. It's a quick watch. It's it's really fun. So yeah, uh, I really enjoy this one. And that's kind of uh, that's kind of where we're gonna tie a bow on it, wrap it up, celebrating a little late, but ten years of the animated film Batman Year One. Uh, so we're we're another step closer to the Batman coming in March, and uh, I hope you guys will continue to join us along the way. But until our next episode, um, Matt, where can people find you online? Um, I'm very scarce on social media, but if you want to find me on Instagram, it's uh, Matt Hewlin, no spaces, M-A-T-T-H-U-L-E-N. Uh, I think I've referred to you before as a social media hermit. So Yes, uh, <laughs> even, even that Instagram um, is not going to get you very far these days, so, <laughs> but... <laughs> But if I do happen, I do have message notifications on. So if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, I will respond. So, Awesome. Uh, what about you, Joe? Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as jforn11. And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Forno. Very, very nice. And as for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram and Twitter at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. Once again, our email is TFRBatPod at gmail.com. If you would take a moment out of your day to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it greatly helps the show. It helps us gain exposure. And now you can also leave us a star rating on Spotify. So if you listen to us on Spotify, just take a second and give us a star rating there. Once again, as I said at the top of the show, we ha- I have now launched uh, a companion blog. So if you'd like to go read some of my Batman musings there, that is tfrbatpod.blogspot.com. Now until next time, and just to give you guys a heads up, uh, our next stop on the road to the Batman will be Batman Ego. So if you want to do a little reading homework there, Uh, Ego can be found on DC Universe Infinite and probably in your local comic shop. So go check out Ego as homework for the next episode. But until then, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. I don't like it. It's steering things up. And with Gordon pushing internal affairs to go after Flash, Flash would be difficult to replace. And if he were to talk, let me worry about Flash. Relax, Carmine. I got everything under control. What the hell's going on? The lights! What happened to the lights?
Ladies, gentlemen, you've eaten well. You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. From this moment on, none of you are safe.